0: First of all, I don't want you to be busy with the book. Leave the book alone. And uh, because what we'll be saying is not in the book. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, how this book has come through and what's the idea behind this course. It's possibly the eighth or the ninth time I'm doing this course around this book, and I, can, I could see a lot of uh, blessings in, uh, in, uh, in teaching this, uh, this book. But let me give you a little bit of a background on how has this book come through, what was the idea. In 2015, um, um, me and family, we were invited by Seekers Hub. Anyone here is, a, uh, is familiar with the Seekers Hub, in Canada? Uh, they are an education institution that work mainly online, and they teach across the world. Uh, so the and I have had a, a long relationship with the Seekers Hub, possibly, if you can call like, ten years long. Then that's uh, that's a long relationship. Um, we I was invited to mainly uh, lead Taraweeh and be a resident scholar in uh, Seekers Hub in Ramadan. They, every Ramadan they invite some scholars or one scholar to come and teach so when I, when i when i went there I, the the idea was uh, just like the long days we have here in the uk where we uh, fast for an enormous amount of hours and we uh, uh, we have a very short night as well so what happened is um, in in seeker's hub we decided that i will lead tarawih with half a juz and then the other half juz will be read together with the, with the group so taraweeh in half, uh, half a juz and then after we finish taraweeh we sit and I recite and everyone is following with their mus'hafs. But as a way of compensating for, uh, for that half juz that's not read, what, uh, what I used to do is to give people a gist of what, what are they going to listen to. Every Ramadan, in every masjid, uh, the Qur'an is recited over 30 days, pretty much in every masjid, isn't it? Pretty much. Like, it's, 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 generalization is a logical fallacy. So pretty much in every masjid. We have the Qur'an recited over the the thirty days of, the 29 days of Ramadan. But what happens, every year we go to the taraweeh and we listen to the imam and we don't connect with what the imam is reciting. Well, we might know that the imam's voice is nice, his recitation is beautiful, but why is he raising his voice here? Why is he lowering his voice there? What's the point of all of this? That's actually a problem. Um, another thing is, if... Uh, if you speak Arabic, uh, reading the Quran, reading a juz every day, which is supposed to happen, is not an easy task. It's not an easy task to read a juz of the Quran every day, so to finish the Quran every month. Because a juz is about 20 pages. Reading 20 pages, even if you're fluent in Arabic, is not a task. Unless you're a half of the, of the Quran like me, then you will have to recite every day anyway. <laughs> That's like that comes part of like your regular daily routine so I have to have a revision a like ha- at least half a juz every day and it goes on and on like that. If you don't read Arabic and you are struggling with it so you might think let me read the translation. And reading the translation is equally a tedious task because what you have is like you have a lengthy translation probably it's uh, if it's Yusuf Ali or Marmaduke Pickthal or any of these old translations thou art and all of that language is quite difficult. Even modern translations, I have about 25 trans- different translations of the Qur'an, whether it's a modern or old translation, English, the English that is written on, uh, in is, is actually good English. And the problem is not with the English, it's uh, with our English. Our English has gotten so bad that even classical or standard English became uh, like a, a, a different language to us. So I thought the only way uh, to come out of this dilemma w- would be I will summarize the themes of, ju- of the Jews that I'm about to recite and talk to people about it. 20 minutes, I said to the people there in, in the hub, 20 minutes, 15 minutes before the taraweeh, I will just recite, uh, I will read a summary of what we're going to recite. And in order to do this, this is not a simple job. It's not like reading through the juz and then thinking what are the themes that are discussed there and just putting them together. It's not a, di- a simple job. You need to read a lot of tafasir, you need to do a lot of like background work in order to make sure that you say to the people, what's the most important thing? If you, uh, if you have to, uh, to pack your luggage and put everything that you have, it's a, a, an easy job. But if you're asked to take only the most important things because of weight limitation… That could be a, a tedious task, that you, you need to think what are the priorities. So I did the same thing with, the, with this, with the Qur'an. And every day, I, uh, I would prepare and I would write uh, what I'm going to, to deliver in two three pages, in a notebook, which I still have, like the, manu- the original manuscript. Over the month, it actually became about 70 pages, 70-80 pages of luck writing, which is, which is quite interesting. In the middle of the juz, I will say, okay, this theme is like this, and check the number of ayah. So, the number of the surah and the number of the ayah, and I put a main theme for the for, the, for the whole juz. After Ramadan, that, the, 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 these classes, let, let's call them, these classes are still available in YouTube. So, you can actually go, and it, I think it's called Introduction to the Recitation or something like that. Like, listen to them one by one, and subhanAllah, I still meet people to this day anywhere in the world who say to me or I'm here in the UK who say to me subhanallah we've benefited immensely from from those those videos those videos are still available it's a good thing Alhamdulillah people continue to listen to them but after Ramadan what I thought of is how can I make this a a written uh, book like how can I turn this into a book that people can in the middle of Ramadan or the beginning of Ramadan or even outside Ramadan pick it up I want to know what is in the Qur'an. What does this Qur'an say? Okay, I'm going to put a plan for myself to read this over a month. So I will read two, three pages every day that summarize for me what the Jews is about. With this in mind, I took that written material, typed it, and re-edited it because because when you publish something, it has to be written in a completely different way. Re-edited that and uh, i sent the edited material in arabic it was in arabic by the way the original was actually written also in Ar- was written only in arabic i sent it to some of my colleagues and my teachers in different parts of the world they said read through this and give me your feedback do you think this is worth publishing and to my surprise actually one of them said it helped him a lot in his tarawih. he was an imam of tarawih, so he said it actually gave him an different dimension of reflecting on his recitation as an Imam in Taraway so that gave me a lot of encouragement to uh, To take it to the next step read again and again over it some some shoe helped in in editing it uh, some typographical mistakes and then uh, I Thought this should be put into English now. I gave it to a student from Singapore whom I taught and uh, asked him to do to do the work of translation, he came back with a translation which I didn't like. Uh, and then I gave it to another brother, he came back with a translation which was a bit better, but still I didn't like it. The main reason why I didn't like it is the Arabic is written in a very metaphorical way. The English should reflect what has been said in Arabic. So I gave it to a man called Dr. Asim Yusuf from Birmingham. Some of you know him. His daughter has written a mauli. She's a very, uh, very intelligent and, and very uh, talented young girl. And uh, Dr. Asim himself, his English is like superb. Uh, I could have translated the book myself, to be honest, but I thought one of the ways of testing what you write is to give it to people and see if they can actually understand and translate it into another language. Uh, the translation took, we were planning for it, about a couple of months. It took a year. And then it came back, me and my wife, she would, uh, she would read the English. She would print out the English, read it, and I'm following with the, my iPad, the Arabic. And I say, no, this is not what I want to say. I want to say this. It, it helps when the, the author speaks English because he can actually look at the translation and say, no, this is not what I want to say. Uh, that basically went back and forth at least five times, like the whole book. Uh, So the book that was started in 2015 came out in late 2000, uh, came actually in 2017. So that was not good, that was not good in a sense, but it was good in the sense that it took its due, uh, due work. This is the book that you have in front of you. It has the Arabic on one side, whole side, so that it doesn't interrupt your English. I mean, if you're reading the English, it shouldn't be interrupting you, and the English is on another side. This book is ideally written, uh, sorry, is uh, ideally read over uh, a month and is ideally read more than one time. Because yes, you might find it very simple and, and, and flowing, but you won't be able to grasp the themes unless you read it over and over again. Alhamdulillah, Sidi Ridwan, Ridwan and what's your name, Sidi? Tanaim. Tanaim. So see, the name has the uh, first edition of the book, hardback, if you can just like show it up. Okay. Yeah. It's a hard, this is the hardback, That's that was the first edition. This is sold out. So we published 1500 copies, and subhanAllah they went so quick. Dr. Asim himself, he publishes books, and he said like, his <laughs> his books didn't go as quick as this. I think it's just the barakah of the Quran, it's not the intention of the writers or, or translators. It's just because it's the Quran, and you know, that's very, very interesting. Imagine, imagine if you have a bookshelf at home and you have put the themes, like you put the books according to the themes. If you have a theme called tafsir in English, that would be the emptiest shelf. Mm-hmm. That would be the emptiest shelf. Like, what are, what are the tafsir out there for, for, in English? Even a kathir? well but that's not a that's a reference work we need to differentiate between a reference work and a book that you can carry and read like if someone's saying i read sahih al bukhari that's a reference work you don't walk around with an english dictionary can you no unless you it's a reference work it stays in your library so this is not a reference this is actually not a reference work but it's a reference work at the same time so it's actually an easy an easy read Alhamdulillah, we published the whole, the, the whole thing and twi- it went away so quick. And uh, last Ramadan, I was going to South Africa for, uh, for the month of Ramadan. And the people who were hosting the masjid wanted uh, copies of the book. I said, the book is sold out. I only have three, three copies in my library, in my personal uh, library. And, and they said, can, can you republish it? I said, well, I th- it will be too tight. They said, and also we didn't have the funds. We work on like very, very small... Uh, budgets, as you know, being in a, that's the default case of any Islamic organization. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I don't have the funds, that's, that's, that's easily like £10,000 to publish, it's not a simple thing. Mm-hmm. You have typesetting, design, uh, printing it in Turkey, and then shipping, and then uh, you have, if you have to ship like a few hundred copies earlier so that you deliver them earlier, that's an air, air shipping, that's extra, and then uh, the normal shipping, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot of hassle. And I, I'm getting ready for Ramadan. They said, "Well, uh, we will buy enough copies to co- to cover your uh, your shipping cost and your your printing cost." So, khair, they bought about uh, 150 copies at a good price, and they even paid for uh, for me to carry them with me. Uh, so they paid like two extra bags. They paid like 300 pounds actually to British Airways just to take these uh, to South Africa, which was like a, a great sacrifice from them. So Alhamdulillah, we delivered their their copies, and they even requested more. So some of them came to to London and actually took a few uh, boxes with them. And the book is available here. Alhamdulillah, uh, this book is not as uh, easily sold as before. I think because I didn't have time to uh, to teach it in Ramadan uh, to promote it in like in a big masjid. But Alhamdulillah, it's available. It's available on Amazon, uh, and it's it's here with you. Uh, this, is, this said uh, what this presentation is about. This presentation or this day course is not about what is in the book because, as I said, this book can easily be read on your own. But it's about the background work that you have not seen in the production of the book. How did I come to uh, extract these themes? And how do we strengthen our relation of the Qur'an as a book? First of all, we need to understand the characteristics of the Qur'an before you enter, you enter into any building or into ha- a house, or you deal with a book. Ha- has anyone, is anyone of you familiar with the title of a book called How to Read a Book? Anyone familiar with that? How many? Mohammed Suleiman? I one? Only. Okay, it's, a, it's an interesting book for bookworms, like myself. <laughs> it's called uh, How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler. And uh, uh, Another guy called uh, something, Van Doren. Uh, it tells you how should you have productive reading. Because reading is, is a time-consuming task. And it needs you to focus. But what do you focus on? Let's, let me give you an example. If you want to buy a house, what is the process of buying a house? First, you look for the house that you want, isn't it? And you have a standard in mind. A standard in terms of how many rooms do you need? If you want a detached or a semi-detached, if you want a flat or a house, a bungalow, what do you want? Or a terraced house. And you also put in all of this within, at the back of your mind is your budget. Like how much do you want to spend on the house? That's that's actually the most decisive thing. And which area do you want to live in? In fact, now the budget even decides which area you want to live in. And uh, once you have located a few good candidates, what do you do? You do viewing. After you do the viewing, if you have come. Okay, I I want this one. Then you put an offer. And then in in the, in the meantime, what do you do? You do surveying, you do investigation to make sure that this is the right decision. Same thing. If you want to read a book, you need first of all to decide what type of reading do I like. You don't write. You don't like reading about everything and anything, isn't it? Some people like reading history books. Some people find them to be quite appalling. Some people like uh, Sociology, some people like philosophy, some people like stories, some people like loads of things. Some people might find it interesting to read a philosophical work, and others might be put off from the first page. Some books require time, so you actually need to spend time. Some books are, I have books, I call them open projects. I read half the book and then I left it. And I come back a couple of years later to it. For example, Guy Eaton's uh, book called King of the Castle. I read half of it. Last Ramadan. Now I've come to the second half. And I left it. And I'm telling you like that first half, I've almost memorized it. I studied it in such... A, i read it in such depth that I almost memorized it. Now the second half, I think my, my mind is ready to take that second, second dosage because it's a very heavy. Anyway, when we come to the Quran, we need to understand these essential characteristics. And I'll go through them very, very quickly. Number one, the Quran is a divine book. That is what it what 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 makes it different from any other book. If you pick up contemplating the Quran, you will find the name of an author and a translator there, isn't it? But if you pick up any code of the Quran, it doesn't have a name of an author. <laughs> Does it say, Allah? It doesn't say that. It doesn't carry a name of an author. Why? Because the author is very well known. And because it's divine. What do you mean by this divine? And why is this so important, to look at the name of the author? Because they're one. When you look at the name of the author, you, at the back of your mind, you make up what do you expect to read in this book? Isn't it? When you look at the back of the book, and they say, for example, this is written by Professor ABC, who is a professor of social... Of, of, uh, of uh, philosophical sociology at the University of Cambridge, da 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 da, da. You, you think that the language and the meanings will be deep according to the level of that person. But if they say this was written by so and so who works as a train the trainer, that's much less. If they say this book is written by so and so who is an inspirational speaker, that's a completely different thing. If it's written by a, a nursery school teacher with 30 years of exper- expertise in nursery teaching, that's a different thing. If it's written by, it depends on who has written the book. So the first thing about the Quran is that this is a divine book. What do you mean by divine? It has that divine characteristic. Human characteristic is limitation. So anything that we say has different meanings. Yesterday I'm, I was writing in research methodology in my PhD and I'm writing about something called critical discourse analysis. So they say, when we do discourse analysis, when we analyze what people say, there are meanings that, are, that we add to the text, isn't it? The text itself doesn't carry any meanings. It's you who make up these meanings, isn't it? There is no limitation for the amount of meanings that you can make. But it doesn't mean that it's unlimited. In other words, when you understand something, you understand it in a way, it, it's not the, that's, the text is not limited to your understanding. It can be understood in a completely different way. But, because it's a human text, there is a limit. What which, which you call exhausting the text. You've, exhausted, you've squeezed the text, you've exhausted it, khalas, there is not, nothing more than that. But when it comes to the Qur'an, there is no limitation. And that's what makes the Qur'an unique. There is limitation for any human text. Limitation in the sense that how many meanings can you get from this, uh, this sentence? 5, 10, 15, 20, 30? 100? But it's limited. With the Quran, 1500 years people have been reading it. Mufassirun have written on it. Actually, tafsir that whole discipline of tafsir, explaining the Quran, is one of the ulum, as they say, that has not matured yet. It still has a long way to go. In comparison to fiqh, for example, they say fiqh has matured. Like there is nothing new that you can add in fiqh. Yes, you can find solutions for new problems, but the roots of fiqh are the same. Like there will be no time when we can say that riba is, hala, riba is haram, full stop. It comes from this door in the form of this haram, this door haram, this door haram. It can take different phases, different shapes, but it's haram, isn't it? But when it comes to tafsir, you can say, well, you know what? I've exhausted Surah Qulhu Allahu Ahad. You know, I'm using Surah Qulhu Ahad because it's such a short, like, four verses. I've exhausted Surah Qulhu Allahu Ahad. No, there is no time that you can say, I've exhausted the text. They call it a Saqf al the epistemological level of the Quran. It's unlimited. Second thing is, the Quran is a preserved book. We mean by a preserved book that as a text, nothing can alter it. But as an understanding, we can't put our understanding above the text. In other words, you understand this ayah to mean this? You're responsible for your understanding. But the text is not responsible for your understanding. In other words, you should, should never hold the Qur'an accountable for what you understand of it who should be held accountable for the understanding? You. If you're a qualified scholar, who has studied Arabic language, studied with the ulama, and they have allowed you, they said, now you are at a level where you can actually read the Quran and give tafsir of the Quran, fine. Then your tafsir will be fine. Fine, as long as it doesn't contradict the scholarly consensus of the ulama. But if you are an, an unqualified individual, Uh, your tafsir will just be rejected from the beginning even if it's right even if it's right why? because if a person who is not qualified in medicine puts on a coat goes to a surgery theatre and he cuts someone's tummy and he treats him uh, and he treats him from a problem and saves his life we will thank that person for saving the life of that patient, isn't it? We'll say thank you very much, Jazakallah khair, for saving the life of that person. But still you will need to go to prison because you are not a doctor and you, you could have killed that individual. Even though he hasn't killed him, but he could have potentially killed him. So assuming the job of someone, who assuming a job you're not qualified for, is itself a sin. Regardless of whether the outcome is correct or wrong. Let's say, for example, so Muhammad Suleiman asks a person who is not qualified a fiqhi question. And he said, jais, permissible. What's the hukum of this? Permissible. Well, even though he is not qualified, and even though it is actually jais, <laughs> but that person is wrong. <laughs> Isn't it? Why? Because it's just haphazard. It. So the Qur'an is preserved. At which level? The Qur'an is preserved at the level, and we can't spend... By the way, each one, every one of these items, we can spend the whole day talking about. The Qur'an is preserved at the level of the uh, audiological level, the pronunciation. So the pronunciation of a letter, how the letters of the Qur'an are pronounced, in what we call ilm al-tajweed. So why do we study tajweed? In order to know how to pronounce the Qur'an correctly. The Qur'an is also preserved at the level of what we call the script, so the Quranic script is not like any other script. If you write for example the word علماء in Arabic it is ain lam mim alif and then hamza isn't it But in the Quran you will find it written like this in some places and in some other places the hamza at the end is written on a wow. Sometimes it's لا, alif lam ain lam mim wow, hamza where did the, the last alif go? Like why Why would a word Same word Same pronunciation Be written in the same book Here In, sh- in a specific shape There In a specific shape In the same book <speaking in> shuraka <Spanish> Salah Why is Salah written? Saad Lam Waaw Tamar Is it It's not Salah It's Salah. Why? And why didn't we read the Quran and write it in the same way as we read it? Like we read it in a specific way, why don't we write it according to the way we read it? No. Imam Malik rahimahullah, said the original writing of the Quran script that was used by Uthman ibn Affan should never be violated. Imam Ahmad said, said the same thing, Imam Shafi'i said the same thing, Imam Hanifa said the same thing. So you can't actually allow even your children who are learning how to write the Qur'an to write the Qur'an in a way that we write normal Arabic language. Why? There is a whole ilm. SubhanAllah, this is an area people don't talk about. There is a whole ilm called al-rasim. Right? Yes, that would be perfect actually. Am I allowed to open it? Yeah. So you'll be in a Shafi'i. <laughs> yeah, that would be brilliant. So, so look at this. This word is exactly the same as this. What makes them different? The shape. Why are they written in this way? Anyone has a clue? Why are they written in this way? Why are they written differently? Because we have in the Qur'an, the way the Qur'an is recited, the Qur'an was communicated to us, it was read in different ways. This being communicated from the Prophet So, the Qur'anic script has been dictated also by the Prophet to accommodate the different ways of recitation. So, have Hafsa the and one the way we recite, is we will always say al-ulama, al-ulama, al-ulama. But there is another man called Hamza al-Kufi. Who would recite Al Ulama as Al Ulama by deleting this? Right? Or by changing this Hamza into an Alif. It will be Al Ulama, just a bit longer. Or by changing it into an Alif and adding another Alif here. So, how many Alifs? Three. Three. And each one is like two lengths. Mm-hmm. So, it will be Al Ulama, it's like a bit longer. Right? Because he does that, and this is how the Prophet also read it. What about this? He will read this also the same. Al-Ulama, Al-Ulama, Al-Ulama. But he has also Al-Ulama. Right? Al-Ulama. Al-Ulama. With putting your lips forward. That's also a way. These two extra. Choices are only in this one, but not in this one. <laughs> you see, it's a very, very subtle and a very uh, a different area of knowledge that people actually can't talk about. I was shown to one of my students in Canada, I was shown him a text that I read to one of my students called Aqilatu Atrab al Qasa'il fi Asna al Maqas. It's a poem of just above uh, 300 lines, almost 300 lines, by a man called Imam al Imam uh, al-Qasim al rahimahullah. And I said, what's this about? I said, this is not about the juveed. This poem describes all the, let's call them the odd words in the Quran, how are they written. In other words, if all the mushafs in the world someone, some hater, were to put them together and burn them, burn them, the ulama of Rasm can rewrite the Mus'haf in exactly the same manner from their heads. Why? Because this Qasida and these books describe, for example, the word... Read that. Malik. Isn't it? Malik, isn't it? In Surah Al-Fatiha, Maliki Yawm al-Din, but it's written as Malik, isn't it? Because there's another recitation, Barj, Malik. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahimi, Maliki, Yawm al-Din, Right? Now, anywhere in the Quran, for example, anywhere in the Quran where the word Malik, is it written like Malik? No. Only in Maliki Yawm al-Din. If it's anywhere in the Quran, it is written the normal way. Where do we get that from, or how is that described? Like say that Malik Yomiddin is with the removal, removal of what? Of the hamza. So when he said Malik din is with the removal of the Hamza, it means that any other place other than Malik Yawm al-din, is without is with the Hamza. Right? It's it's a very complicated thing. I just wanted to give you a, a, a hint of how the Quran is preserved at the level of how it is written, how it's pronounced. Not only that, brothers and sisters, but we have an for example, people are not aware of. Well, people are aware of, but but I mean like specialists are aware of. It's called علم العد. The science of counting. How many ayat are in every surah? Surah al-Baqarah, for example. How many ayat are in surah al-Baqarah? 286. Right? 286. Hold on. 286. Kufi count. (laughs) Because there's another way of counting the Quran. There's a madani count. 285. We have the basri count of the the shamikam. It's the same ayat. But where does the ayah end? Mm. Differs. Oh. You see? <laughs> so they don't only know that, oh, you know what, it's like 200, 285 here. No, no, 285. So where is the first ayah in Surah Al-Fatiha ends? I'm asking you. Surah Al-Fatiha. you recite saying Surah Al-Fatiha every day. Where is the first ayah ends? What's the first ayah of Surah Al-Fatiha? Uncle? We're just taking you because uh, you are the eldest here, so you must have been reciting it longer than yeah. everybody else. Bismillah yes. Like yes, that's one way. Uncle says that it is Bismillah rahman rahim Muhammad Suleiman. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah Bahik. Imam Malik says Bismillah rahman rahim is not part of the Fatiha. Imam Shafi'i says part of Fatiha. So if you if Imam Shafi'i is count, it will be. Why did Imam Shafi say that? And why did Imam Malik say that? Because Imam Malik follows the medani count. The medani count the count is alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen And both are seven by the way. alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman rahim Maliki Yawm Al-Din Iyaka Wa Iyaka Nasta'in Bi-hidina Al-Siraat Al-Mustaquim Siraat Al-Lathina An'amta Alayhim Am Ghyri Al-Maghdoubi Alayhim Ula al Seven The other one Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillahir Rabbil Alameen, Rahmanir Rahim, Maliki Omadi, Yaqan Abu Dhu Yakanstein, Idina Salat al Mustafim, Salat al Ladina and Amta alayhi wa'il Nadu Ghairi wa'il Mardu Ghairi wa'il Mardu Hali. It's the same. Right? That's just
1: a very
0: simple, to be honest, very simple, superficial example. But we can actually go into a long, 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 long. How many Surah Ayat al Kursi? Is it one ayah or two? الله لا إله إلا هو الحير القيوم لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم Is it الله لا إله إلا هو الحير القيوم And stop, and then لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم Or is it all the way through You need to know which add, which count are you following Otherwise you'll be in, in trouble So that just shows you how the Qur'an is a preserved book And that everything in the Qur'an has actually been taken good care of the Quran is also a miraculous book. When we say that the Quran is a miraculous book, we mean that the way it is written, the way it is recited, the way it's understood is miraculous. Its language is completely different from Arabic language, even though it's in Arab. But you know, Arabs normally speak of two categories of language, prose and Yes, I hope that people just focus on the dars. Leave the gadgets away, please. Um, uh, Arabic, we have prose and poetry, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Any language, you have prose and poetry. Poetry is what rhymes, has meter. They said that Arabic language is prose, poetry, and Quran. (laughs) So they couldn't actually classify the Quran under any of the other two categories. Why? It's Quran. I was discussing it with some people the other day that some parts of the Qur'an follow the Arabic meter of poetry. I mean like some ayat, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't make it actually poetry. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we have 17 poetic meters. Mm -hmm. In English, That shows you the liberty of English. We're like five or or seven in English. The most common one is what? Iambic, isn't it? You know Iambic? Iambic poetry? You know you don't know what I am in poetry. Is. By the way, English is my second language, so I should be worse than all of you. Okay, I am in poetry is a poetry that has got iams. Iamb is is a meter that that goes like this: te tum. It's like it goes like that: te tum, te tum, tu, te tum. So each one of these is called what? am. If you've got uh, three, it is. Try I am. If it is uh, five, it's called pentameter, isn't it? Pentameter. And Shakespeare was known for this. And this was common, and this is actually quite common. Why? Because they say it's similar to the beat of the heart. Te tum, te tum, te tum. It's like that. So if you read Shakespeare's, shall I, you remember? Shall I huh, compare thee? Huh? to a summers samas day yeah. so shall I t-tum, compare tatum thee to a samas day t-tum? so that's one two three four five isn't it so in English we have these limited meters in Arabic we have 17 we have something called Rajas, Mustafalun, Mustafa, Mustafalun. Three times here. Mustafalun, Mustafa, 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 or Fa'ulun, mafa'ilun Faulun, Mafailun. It goes like that. Goes on that on that scale. The Quran, some ayat of it have meter, but it is not, it doesn't have the exact description of poetry because poetry has to have rhyme has to have meter, has to have image. The Qur'an has the image, has the meter, but doesn't have rhyme. Sometimes it's no rhyme at all. Sometimes there is no meter at all. For example, For example, And are not equal. Metrically, isn't it? You know, just, just use your, your ear, yeah, you don't have to be an expert in Arabic. Layli ida Saja ma It's longer, isn't it? But if you have, for example, كَلَّا وَالْقَمَرُ asfar. Right? So the Quran is miraculous in the sense that it just put Arabic at a completely different standard. Quran, the Qur'an is also a book that is made easy. We mean by it's made easy, it's accessible for people. We can call it the Qur'an it is an accessible book. Regardless of how much education do you have, you can still access the Qur'an at a specific level. You can read it. Even the Ammi, the person who doesn't even speak Arabic at all and has no Islamic education, he can read Al-Fatiha and what we call sometimes short surahs. And he doesn't have a problem understanding that. The Ibn Abbas radiyallahu speaks of four categories of people in dealing with the Qur'an. He says there are parts of the Qur'an that are only known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if you ask the most learned scholar of the Qur'an, he would say I don't know what's this. For example, the Qur'an speaks extensively about Jannah. Right? But what are the realities of what it mentions about Jannah? I don't know. You don't know. No one can claim that they know. Isn't it? The Qur'an speaks about ghaib, unseen, mala'ika. You don't know the reality of that. You know the description. And there is always a big difference, huge difference with description and reality. So there is part that's not known to anyone. There is part that's known to the ulama who are well-versed in knowledge. Al fil That's a different level. And there are parts of the Qur'an that are accessible to anyone who can speak Arabic language. And there are parts of the Qur'an that are accessible even to the very Ami. So in that sense, the Qur'an is made easy. Yes, the Qur'an is made easy. But it doesn't mean you can give tafsir of the Qur'an. (laughs) Salah is made easy, isn't it? But it doesn't mean that you know the ahkam of salah. Driving is easy because you can drive your car. But it doesn't necessarily mean you can fix the the car when something goes wrong with it. It's a completely different area, isn't it? It's a completely different job. So yes, the Qur'an is made easy, salah is made easy, but if someone comes and says, "Yes, yeah, Shaykh, I had some excuse. Uh, I, I have urine incontinence. Am I? Do I need to repeat my wudu' for every salah? It's a completely different thing. You can say, well, I normally don't repeat my wudu' for my salah, but you don't have urine incontinence. You don't have an excuse. The Qur'an is also a comprehensive book. What do you mean by comprehensive book? It contains... What we can call guidelines for a good life. Without giving us the small details. The Quran doesn't tell you whether you should smoke or not.
1: It doesn't give
0: you any guideline on that. But it tells you that Allah has made allowable for you everything that is tayyib clean, pure, and He has made prohibited for you anything that is not tayyib that is not clean. And then it's left up to you. It's up to you now to decide to take that decision. I have no uh, authority to force you to, take a, to make a choice. But I can guide your choice. I can tell you how you should make a choice. But I can never make you do that, take that decision or take that step. The Quran is a comprehensive book in the sense that it gives us a, a map for the future, as we will see later on. The Quran is above time. In other words, even though sometime, sometimes we will think of the images of the Quran to be, oh, you, this is coming from the desert. Well, but in fact it's coming from the desert but it still corresponds to people today. Some ulema said for example the Quran speaks in words that are understandable to a simple Arab and understandable and very, simple, very, uh, very clear to uh, someone who lives t- today. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of وَالشَّمْسُ تَجْرِي لِمُسْتَقَرِّ That the sun moves. The sun is in what? In continuous movement. وَالشَّمْسُ تَجْرِي لِمُسْتَقَرِّ The sun keeps moving. Well, we know that the uh, planets move around the sun, but the sun itself moves as the whole galaxy keeps moving. But the Qur'an didn't say, well, the sun moves in such orbiting, uh, in, in, in orbits, because Arabs won't understand this. You just say تَجْرِي. Jara means to move. Very interestingly, the Qur'an uses specific uh, words uh, to refer to certain things. For example, one of uh, our teachers from Egypt, SubhanAllah, there is like, this, this massive attack on the sources of Islam these days. It's new in the UK, but it's been going on in Egypt for the last 100 years. So we're, we're, we're very familiar with it. So some people came out and said, about a year ago or so, they denied the Mi'raj of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So they said, well, we know that Isra has happened. By the way, if they deny the Isra, they, are, they get into big trouble, isn't it? They get into big trouble because in the Qur'an there is a surah al-Isra the night journey but they say we don't believe in the ascensions that they don't believe in the ascension how come? They said there is no mention there is no mention where is it? And they started like putting things together to cause doubt in the minds of people why if al-Isra al miraj they said why if al-Isra al miraj happened in the same night al-Isra is mentioned in surah al-Isra middle of the Qur'an while surah al-Najm where the mi'raj is mentioned is far away. The mashaykh like, responded to that. And then they took the word mi'raj. They said araja means to climb. And they said modern science says that you cannot actually climb into the heavens. Why? Because the universe is what? Is round. So you can't, There's no like you're not know, going in a, in, a, in a straight line. So, one of our shayyukh said, Well, did the Quran say you will walk in a straight line? It said mi'raj. A'raj in Arabic. You know, when someone is lame, we call him in Arabic what? A'raj. Why? Because he moves with one leg, and he, one leg is, is like weak, and the other is what? Is strong. So, mi'raj doesn't mean actually going straight, it actually means going like this. And if you ask any astrophysicist, Anyone specialized in this field, they will tell you that any uh, rocket that is sent to the outer space, it doesn't go like that. It goes like this. It's called trajectory. In a trajectory way, it goes like this. And then goes like this. And goes like this. It goes like, it goes like in, in, in in not in a straight line, one, stage one, stage two, stage three. When you climb the stairs, these stairs, do you go like that, or do you go like this? <laughs> <laughs> That's why the stairs are called what? Mi'raj. So that I like said, <laughs> The Qur'an used that, used the word Mi'raj. And there is actually a clear and a specific use for this word that makes it the most suitable thing. The Qur'an is also a universal book. we mean by it being a universal book? That the stories of the Qur'an shouldn't be viewed as just stories. In fact, they should be uh, viewed as selection that has got a universal lesson. Why of all the prophets that we have heard of in the Qur'an, Musa is mentioned so frequently. He's mentioned more than the Prophet himself. Isa, there are only snippets of his life that are mentioned. What do you know about Isa السلام, from birth, when he spoke in the cradle, until he became a man? What do you know in between? Nothing. But you know of Isa السلام, when he was a child, he spoke in the cradle, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Then you see him as an adult, as a big man. Isn't it guiding? Why? Because these are the most important things that relate to our life today. Why is it that Shu'ayb is mentioned? people used to cheat in weights they would sell they had they had no economic economic and financial ethics Mm -hmm. and look at the world today is full of like disasters when it comes to money controls people's ethics so there is a universal factor here so what are the main objectives of the quran is in general there are we can, we can list four essential objectives of the Qur'an. Number one, the Qur'an has come to correct people's concepts and beliefs. As I said earlier, someone might disagree with me and say, no, the Qur'an has more objectives than these. Fine. Someone might say, well, the Qur'an has less objectives than these. Fine. These are all human, uh, human work. The Qur'an has come to correct people's concepts and beliefs. And I mean by people's concepts and beliefs... Not only that the Quran has come to say that you shouldn't worship a multiplicity of gods, you should worship one god. This is one of, its, of, of the concepts and beliefs. But one of the concepts that is common and more invading of people's minds today is thinking that the, this world is, is, is everything. That there is no other destination. It's, it's a journey. And the destination is this. The Quran keeps saying, Al الدنيا Dunya, Al Hayatul Dunya, Al Dunya. And we never think of why is the Quran always describing life as dunya? Well, by the way, life and dunya are two different things. You can just say dunya. But you say what? Al oh, That means there is, الأخرى. <laughs> if there is, الدنيا, there is الأخرى If there is الدنيا Dunya, there is الأخرى If there is this lowly life, there is that other life. If there is this life, there is after life. We call it afterlife, and that's wrong as well. Because what's afterlife? It's as if there's only one life. And what's after is after. No. We have worldly life. Or dunya, daniya, dana in Arabic means to come close, isn't it? This is hayatul dunya. Because it's dunya, it's dani, dani, it's very close. I mean, by close, it's right next to you, you're already in it. And it's dunya because everything in it is easily accessible. Like you can cheat to get money. You can uh, study and get some position. And it's easy. In fact, there is actually a, a deeper meaning in calling it Saying to you that the most difficult things in life are actually easy. <laughs> like sometimes you find it difficult, for example, to achieve a success in, in something. So this is very difficult. But with trial, what happens? You can get it. Even the most inachievable things that you think they are inachievable... They are, in comparison to Akhirah. they are achievable and easy. So Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, this is Hayatul dunya The most difficult thing is easy. You just, like, you just don't know how to get it. But the real difficult one is Akhirah. Why? Because it requires commitment. Let me give you an, a very simple example. You want to memorize or to pass an exam. What do you do? Study. Study. The first question you will ask me is, how long do I need to study to pass this exam? Isn't it? So you're putting a quantifiable amount of time, isn't it? Isn't that easy? It is easy because you know how much effort you will be putting. But when it comes to akhirah, well, you need to put a whole life effort in order to achieve something in akhirah, and possibly you might not achieve at the end. <laughs> because all your life you were basically driving in the wrong direction. <laughs> So you'd never get to them, you get somewhere else. So you basically work hard, well, but if someone is smart, he will think about it and he say, "Wow, 60 years, 70 years." But well, six, 60 years, 70 years in comparison to eternity is nothing. Mm-hmm. But for you, because you live in this life, you think it's everything. Well, technically, this is all your money. Let's say Edouwan has uh, half a million pounds. Insha'Allah. Let's say Rudwan has half a million pounds. And then I said to Rudwan, look, I'm going to do this adventurous project that, Allahu A'lam, I may win and I may lose. Would you like to to come in and invest some money? He will say, how much money do you want me to invest? If I tell him 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, 50,000, he might decide, well, it's fine. I'll put the money. If I lose it, I lose it. It's no problem. But what if I say half a million like I'm basically taking everything that he has. That's a problem. <laughs> because if he loses that he loses everything. Same thing. In Akhirah you're investing all your life. In Dunya you're just investing a little. So the Quran comes to correct your concepts and beliefs. That you know what? A lot of people are actually put off by that. And they say, you know what, let me just focus here. Why do I have to worry about what's after? Let me think about tomorrow when tomorrow comes. But remember that tomorrow is a product of today. That's the, that's the reality some people just focus, focus here and they forget about what's happening afterwards Quran comes to say well, there is a meaning there is, an, the, the, there is another meaningful life whether you live this life in a good shape or in a bad shape sometimes you're abused all your life sometimes you're upset with the people around you upset with the society upset with the government people are upset with uh, different things and they can't change the reason that causes them <laughs> that frustration. Like someone is not happy with his house. Why? It's damp. And he doesn't have money to change it. And he's going through difficulty. As man. All of As they say, There is nothing that you can do about it. Okay? He lives all his life in misery. Remember that if you don't believe in Akhira, Your present life will be ahead. That's that's the reality. Take it or leave it. I know that a lot of people out there would not agree, but that's their problem. That's not my problem. Guy Eaton in King of the Castle, he says man is in a circle. It's blocked from everywhere. If you want to come out of this circle, you won't be able to. The only way is to ascend. Go up. So as terrestrial beings, we are locked in this life. The only way out is to think of a different dimension. And he says something really, really profound. He says people of the past could deal with their pains because they saw this life as an episode in many other lives. But when you think of this life as the episode, the final episode in the drama, (laughs) that doesn't help you is it? It doesn't help you at all. It's the final episode. What's, what's, what's going to happen next? Nothing. That's it. You get frustrated and you leave this world frustrated and that's it. That's really miserable. But if you think, you know what, this is just an episode of frustration and calm down later on. So correcting concepts and beliefs. Quran also comes to confirm human dignity and rights. It establishes the value of man. As a human being, as a creation of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, as someone who is entrusted with earth, he's not someone who is like below his own desires. It's as a one of the essential components of being dignified is that you have a purpose, isn't it? You have a purpose because everything in this universe has a purpose. Even animals, when they eat, they have a purpose. Their life is for a purpose, the cycle of their life is for a purpose. But if you ask many human beings nowadays, do they have a purpose in life? No. Everything has been broken. This is broken, this is broken, this is broken, gender is broken, family is broken, concepts are broken, language is broken. In Canada, they're inventing, and I'm sure many of you know, inventing these new pronouns that you can't use binary language anymore. You know what binary language is? He and she. You can't use binary language anymore. What are you breaking? You're breaking human dignity. You're breaking every simple thing. When you break every simple thing, how can we talk to each other as a society? Isn't it? There has to be something common between you and me to talk about, isn't it? So that when we refer, we're referring to something common. When I call this a, a screen or I call this a table or a, this a table or a wall or a door, we have to agree that this is called a door. But if I say it's a door, you say, no, it's a window. And he says, no, it's a table. And she says, it's a chair. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> so what are we talking about? Isn't it? A re- that's a reality. I mentioned to you before a man called Jonathan Sachs. He's a rabbi. He's a chief rabbi of, of the UK and Commonwealth. Yeah. Brilliant man. Brilliant individual. Like he has a small, one of his like books, a small book called The Persistence of Faith. He says, we have in our society three things that are so essential. Tradition, community, and language. When you break tradition, you're breaking community, because every community comes with its tradition. Each and every one of us here in the room are Muslims, but we come from a community, isn't it? With this Asian community, African community, and each and every one of us is proud of that community. It's part of who we are. It makes who we are. And that's, that's the diversity of the world. That's very, very essential. That we have to, to live with such diverse entities. Uh, but when someone tries to basically break the community, why is your community unique? Because of a tradition, isn't it? What has made your community a community is a tradition, long-standing tradition. Everything has a tradition. Even making naan is a tradition. Even kebab is a tradition too. Isn't it? Food is a tradition. Perfume is a tradition. Clothing is a tradition. Building is a tradition. Isn't it? When in the last 50-60 years they started to violate the traditional building constructions, new homes are causing trouble nowadays, isn't it? Because of cement. Because the concrete that they're putting is not the mortar they used to use traditionally. Nowadays you wouldn't buy a new house you would rather buy a house that was built 100 years ago. Why? Because it has tradition inside it. It was built with ihsan, with perfection. It's a tradition. When you break the tradition, you break the community, the only last standing pillar of society is language. When you break language, khalas. And as I say everywhere, we move from a spoken language, which is the most egalitarian and and, and better way. Why? Because it forces you to what? Communicate. Communicate physically, to travel and talk to written language which allows a lower level of communication. But it still allows you to be good in writing. But what does it do? It covers you behind the writing. When you read someone's writing, it is covered to what we call today emojis. (laughs) Twitter and emojis. That's basically, to me, that's basically going back in time to the hieroglyphics. It's very similar. Going back to the hieroglyphics. It's like human beings are travelling backwards, not forward. And everyone is on his, on his machine. Somehow there was an article in BBC on the mistakes that are made by artificial intelligence. Like imagine if you're artificial. They, 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 they started it like this. Imagine if you're in a car and, the, uh, and, and, and the, the driver is driving like 100 miles an hour. And it's red light. Or the sign has been damaged because of some scratches. And then you tell the driver to stop, but there is no driver. There is no driver. An accident can happen. What if it's a plane? And they showed how they fooled so-called artificial intelligence. A baseball, they have fooled the artificial intelligence to believe that it's a coffee cup. <laughs> yeah, you can do all of these things. Because what's artificial? It's a made of man. Yeah. It's a make. And subhanAllah, again, Guy Eaton says, It is very damaging to the human soul to live in a second-hand environment. I mean by a second-hand environment, an environment that we've made ourselves. Ah. You basically Ah. live among these things that you have made. Mm. Look around you, you've made all of these things. Live among these things, disasters. It is pleasing for the soul to go out and see nature. Why is it damaging also to human human soul? Because it gives you a fake feeling of symmetry life you look at the buildings everything is symmetrical but the reality is we are not symmetrical you are not symmetrical if you go to the doctor i, I, I was with someone in the gp some some years ago and the doctor said him, hey, by the way none of us is symmetrical like if you <laughs> your nose is not symmetrical part of it part of your body will be like lower higher a few millimeters a few centimeters that's part of of who you are but when when we look at each other, we look at the bigger picture. Isn't it? Your wife will not say, oh, subhanAllah, how come I like, can... I think this nose opening is a bit smaller than that one. <laughs> it gone huh? Or you know what, you've got like this skin pigment pigment in, in this place. But it's, it's not... It's, the distribution of color is not exact. <laughs> oh, you know what, the distribution of hair in your beard or your head is not exact. <laughs> Or, oh, you know, how come that all of these discrepancies are forgotten in the bigger picture? It teaches us wholesomeness, to be wholesome. The Qur'an confirms this human dignity by looking at all human beings are equal, as equal as humans. And then the choice of Iman and Kufr is a different story. The choice of uh, gender is a different story. The choice of the community they live in is a different story. The choice of the country is a different story. But what has happened? We started dividing ourselves. We live in this country, so we are first world, f- first world and third world countries. First world countries, third world countries. Oh, we in, inside, inside Milton Keynes or inside Birmingham, we've got like the Asian community. And then within the Asian community, you've got Pakistanis, Bengalis, Indians. And then within the Pakistanis, you've got the Merpuris, the Kashmiris. And, yeah. and oh, then uh, inside the Merpuris, <laughs> you've got these, these people from this village and that village. And uh, no, 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 not only that, you are Brailwi or you Bandi. And then not only that, but you pray in this masjid, the imam of this masjid doesn't like the imam of that masjid because these are Naqshbandis and these are Qadris. And you know what, actually we're not just Naqshbandis, we're Naqshbandis, but we are in this peer back home. And that peer actually doesn't like that peer because he took that khilafa from him and he was not authorized. And then within the family, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to, to communicate with your uncle because he actually has given me a hard time when, when I wanted to marry your mother. Is not it? it? And you know, they don't like your mother because this is like division and division and division and division. They relate a very interesting story of how, how people come to these stereotypes. A man said to a friend of his, you know what, I think we are the most, I think, uh, I think our village is the most practicing village in the area. He said to him, well, I see that, yes. MashaAllah, everyone here wears hijab and everyone here prays five times a day. He said, yes, but you know what? The prayer of every masjid in the city is not very good. Our masjid is actually the best. <coughs> the salah is very long. So I think the most practicing group in the city is our masjid, the jama' in our masjid. He said to him, you know, you're right. He said, but you know, even the musallis in our masjid, they don't go in like clean clothes. They just go in their work clothes. It's only me and you who give salah its due time and dress properly. So I think it's only me and you who are the most practicing in this village. I said, ah, possibly you're right. He said, but look, your daughter ran away with a boy who, whom she wasn't supposed to be running away with against your will. You're not a good father. I think I'm the only practicing person in this village. go <laughs> down from there to here. Once you think you are the center of the world, then human dignity is lost. The Prophet ﷺ said, I'm really concerned about a man who has recited the Quran until the beauty of the Quran could be seen in his face. In other words, he's someone who has memorized, like many of the Quran that we have today. And he is full of passion for Islam. And then he turns to his neighbor, and he says, you are a mushrik. He accuses him of shirk. And he takes the sword and kills him. That person is very dangerous. Remember, that person is a hafiz of the Quran, and he's full of passion for Islam. But he did not respect human dignity. The Quran comes also to call for a diverse, cooperating human society at different levels. Males and females, young people, old people, children and fathers, brothers and sisters, uncles and aunties, people who you disagree with, people who you disagree with, people who you like, people who don't like, whom you don't like. And the Quran also aims to the purification of human soul. Why? Because this is the most honorable part of a human being. Your body will decompose after your death, definitely. Your heart will decompose. The only thing that will remain from you is what? Your tongue, that is very well spoken, will decompose. But it is your soul. So in order to make this soul pass, it has to be pure. It has to be cleansed. What makes it dirty? It's attachment to the body when it goes into that. service of the body. The Quran gives us means of how can we purify ourselves. So what we'll be doing in the coming hours insha'Allah ta'ala is I have listed 18 ways of connecting to the Quran, 18 keys of connecting to the Quran. We'll take one by one with examples, right? So I'll read them before we go on to a break. First, one of the ways of connecting with the Quran once you have the Mus'haf is to link a sentence to the topic of the surah. We have, like, 114 surahs. Look at the surah, count, uh, like, look at the ayat, and see what other repetitive words in the surah. In discourse analysis, some work in discourse, as these days, discourse analysis, one of the ways of understanding discourse is to look for something called crisis moments. Mm. How do you, for example, let's say, for example, if any of us has gone through a divorce experience. For the following couple of years, the word divorce will appear a lot in his conversations, isn't it? He will always be talking about divorce, 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 divorce. Isn't it? If someone has a problem with his children, he will always be talking about education, education, education. Nowadays, if you have any concern, any interest, what do you do on Google? Look for it. So what do Google do? They pick up your search patterns mm. and they suggest things that fall in line with what you look for, isn't it? <laughs> if you keep looking for, let's say, broom, they will send you adverts about brooms. If you're looking for a... Uh, a, a, a hoover or a fridge, you like... Or, or, for example, you look for a house, like houses in Milton Keynes. They will start sending you adverts about... Milton Keynes, houses in Milton Keynes, facilities in Milton Keynes, service in Milton Keynes, how good Milton Keynes is, because they are trying to attract you, or to, basically, to affect your decision, and force you, in a specific direction. So if we want to, uh, understand the topic of the surah, possibly we look for the repeated words. Mm-hmm. Uh, linking a sentence, a sentence that, you know what, this meaning of this that sentence, is everywhere. We have, to look at the thematic unity of the surah and we will talk about what do we mean by thematic unity. There is a theme that governs the surah and how can we we'll take actually a practical example of that. Observing the objective of the text, sometimes the Quran, a text has different objectives. It speaks to the Prophet, but it speaks to the community at the time and speaks to the so how do we look at these multi-layered objectives of texts? Uh, Conceptualizing uh, the social, psychological, intellectual context of people. When this text came down, let's say for example, you read a message. A conversation between me and Brother Naim. Uh, I send him a message. It would be wrong of him to take my message and share it with people without saying what's before and what is after. Why? Possibly someone reading that, he says, well, that's very harsh. But he doesn't know. Possibly this message i am rebuking him for not doing the same thing i've been talking about for a year so this message is not harsh it's basically a reminder after a whole year oh that's very soft well possibly the person is ill and he needs a bit of a soft language so we need to conceptualize the people who received that act to whom that i spoke in the first place were they poor or rich were they defeated or victorious. Whether in Mecca or Medina. Is it to young people or to old people? Sometimes we find different tfasir, different meanings of a, of, a, of a word or an ayah. Rather than taking one and refusing the other. Rather than coming to the sheikh and saying which one of these is correct? You, you should actually think can I, can I take all of them together? Can I take all of them together? For example, You're invited to two or three events in a day. And they're all important. Rather than saying, which one should I attend? That shouldn't be the first question. The first question should be, can I attend four of them without uh, upsetting anyone, frustrating anyone? If you can't, then you move to the other option. (laughs) So, uh, again, going back to the example of looking for a house, can I find a place That fits within all my criteria, not necessarily 100%, but 50% of this, 60% of this. And if I have to sacrifice, which one should I sacrifice? Isn't it? You don't think, okay, you know what? Okay, I'm not going to live in a house, I'll go for a flat. That's not the best option that you go for. You would say, can I find a house that possibly is two bedroom, but it's very small or needs a bit of work? but it's still within my budget, you you try to look for that. So, opting for a universal meaning rather than a particular interpretation. Understanding the complementary nature of Qur'anic texts. In other words, when the Qur'an repeats a word or a sentence, it has a meaning. It's not just a repetition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there is a meaning, so how do we understand it? Observing the narrations regarding a specific interpretation. Sometimes you find uh, uh, a narration saying this ayah was revealed in this place. This ayah was revealed in this place. It's the same ayah. But how can we understand and take both of them? Avoiding unnecessary naskh We, we will talk about this inshallah. Uh, sometimes we will say this ayah is cancelled. Its hukm is cancelled. In, in in Sharia is the cancelling of an ayah or a hadith or a text because its ruling is no more applicable. Why wouldn't the ruling be applicable? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted wanted to introduce a law. And people were not ready for it. So he introduces that at levels. Mm. By the end of it, the law is established. And people got rid of, of, of what they were supposed to get rid of. For example, let's say for example, someone is so addicted to his phone. The solution is not and then he sees, Allah, this brother has a non-smartphone and he's living with that happily. Tomorrow, I'm going to break my phone, throw it away, I'm going to get a non-smartphone. Everything will collapse. Because you've got WhatsApp friends. You've got people you can't communicate with except through internet. So you need that. The solution is, how can I prepare myself and the people around me to less phone usage? Then people don't expect me. How can I over the next year tell people I'm going to move from this building to... Let's say you have a company and it's functioning in a premises. You can't just over the mo- over, o- overnight just move to a new premises. You have to tell people moving soon, moving soon, moving soon. So that people come and visit you in the new place and then they know where to find you. So in, 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 instead of saying, well, this is cancelled... That's only the... As I I, I was saying to a doctor yesterday, when someone comes with an abscess in his foot, you don't chop the foot. Isn't it? Only an ignorant person will chop the foot. What will you do? You deal with the abscess. But if you don't know how to deal with the abscess, some people chop the foot. They should transfer you to someone who can actually deal with it. So some people say, well, this is cancer. This is wrong. Like nowadays people say, Bukhari is wrong. Bukhari said this is wrong. How oh, Because rationally, this is impossible. Since when do we put our rationality before the text? What are you called? Muslim. Aslama in essence means to submit. You said, ashadu an ilaha <laughs> illa Allah. It means that there is no God except Allah, including your rationality and your intellect. It's not a God. But sometimes we unknowingly, we think of our minds as what? A God. Well, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, it doesn't need to make sense to you. <laughs> when your wife gives you some orders, they don't have to make sense to you all the time. You just execute them out of love. Uh, no submission. <laughs> out of love. You better... You, you better uh, Put it th- th- this way, <laughs> right? Uh, understanding the gradual uh, stages of revelation. So when we when we actually understand this, we will not cancel any any text. Looking at the wisdom, sometimes we find the surah only revealed in Medina, but some Medina, some ayat are there. What's the point? Or some Meccan surah with some Medinian ayat are there? There must be when when we read that in the Quran we can, in order to connect with it, we need to know which one is revealed in Mecca, which one is revealed in Manila, and why is it put like that? Huh? When, when you get a new version of a, of a, or a new edition of a book, you always ask yourself, what is new in that edition? So what's new in that edition? What makes it different? Huh? Looking at the uh, dif- differentiating between reports regarding occasions of revelation, sometimes an ayah has been revealed twice. Possibly it's, it's an important question that needs an important answer. So the answer is repeated again. Understanding the verse within the texture surroundings, and we'll talk about this. Settling the imagined conflict, Ah, this is also a very, very important thing. Some people are obsessed with scientific discoveries. Every time someone comes with a scientific discovery, they rush to the Quran and say, mashallah, the Quran has said that 1500 years ago. <laughs> we don't have to do that. I would say to one, a few brothers a week ago, I said, we are so obsessed about how can we make Islam modern. Mm. Islam doesn't need to be modern. Or how can we make Islam relevant? Islam doesn't need to be relevant. People need to relate to it. Islam is, is, is like a, is, is a base. It's a, if we can say, a static thing. It's an established thing. People normally settle in places. Places don't dwell in people, isn't it? <laughs> so people settle in Islam. It's like a, 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 a path. You walk in the path. You don't take the path and make it walk inside you. It doesn't work like that. So why does Islam have to be relevant? Well, we, yes, we can renew our tools. But we don't have to twist our concepts. So the Qur'an is not a book of science. Being not a book of science, it doesn't necessarily need to be made related to what science says. Bearing in mind that the Qur'an is absolute and that science is always changing. Uh, observing the linguistic subtleties and ellipses. This is very important and this is more uh, linguistic than anything else. The Qur'an being written in Arabic language and Arabic language is a very vast and very uh, profound language. It has a lot of unsaid things. How do we perceive these unsaid things and why they are not said? Tracing the etymological and derivative use of the Qur'an. Shades of meaning. It's very, very important. For example, that, you know, why is al-Masih or al-Masih? Right? Al-Masih, the Messiah. Mm. Is it from Masaha? Masaha means to? rub, And, or is it from Saha? which means to tour or to trouble because Isa a.s. Is used to trouble but he's also rubbed, because he used to rub the bodies of the blind and the liberals and heal them so is he called the mistake because of this or because of traveling? so you need to understand because it gives you shades of the meaning, sometimes for example the word faqir and the word miskin isn't it what's the difference between both well we always say, oh, the fakir is a person who uh, who, uh, who needs, let's say, he needs twenty pounds a day. He earns only ten. The miskin is a person who uh, needs twenty pounds a day, but he earns less than ten. So he earns like less than fifty percent of what he needs. So the fakir, you can give him ten, he's fine. But the miskin, you need to give him more. But is that everything? Though we will actually realize that there is a, a it, it, uh, there is there is, there is a, a difference in etymology between the two words that make the Quran always say al fuqara wal-masakin mentions the faqir first before the miskin. The there is actually a difference. The word ghafara to forgive. Why does Allah say ghafir, ghafar, Ghafur? All of these things have have a. Different shades add different shades to the meaning. The link between the verses and their ends is very, very important. I'll give you an example. Sometimes the change in the end of the verse is because of the musicality of the surah. Who is older of the two prophets, Harun or Musa? Huh? Who was born earlier, Musa? Musa is before Harun, Surah so bi Musa wa Harun. Is it it? Musa is mentioned before Harun. But in Surah Taha, Rabbi Harunah wa Musa. Why? Why is Harun mentioned before? Because the style of the Surah, the rhyme of the Surah is Yaqshah, Ula, Musa. So it has to follow the rhyme, the scheme, the rhyme scheme. Sometimes the, even the, uh, the, the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used at the end of the, of the verse, and we will give examples of that. It, it relates to the content of the verse. If I say, for example, Uh, I'll overlook this mistake because that's due to my disciplining nature or forgiving nature I'll overlook this mistake due to my forgiving nature or disciplining nature which one you will go for? forgive why? because but if I say I won't let this go because of disciplining nature so yeah the end of a sentence always relates to the sentence itself and finally delving into the language of the Quran will will we'll give you some some aspects of arabic language for those who are uh, who have a bit of arabic have uh, done a bit of arabic studies and those who have not done any arabic studies inshallah they will, they will be able to appreciate that inshallah so we have uh, taken about an hour and 21 minutes so we have uh, how long is it we can play as well okay Okay. So I have twenty minutes and people can even have lunch if they want. Yeah, no, yes, no, They can they, okay, they can they can have like their lunch break now. Yeah, okay. or, or did you have another sure. plan? We can have another lunch break at Asa maybe slightly like later we have some snacks and we can have the lunch at Ask time Okay. Hours, so. Yeah, yeah, okay. Khalas, so we will give fifteen minutes. Uh twenty start back like at half past four. Okay. So they've got too long. Okay, child.